we don't look at life as a journey. We've been told we've been told a lie. We've been told life is not a journey. We've been told life is some linear progression to happiness, and it's the biggest lie on earth. And actually, but it's a great lie because it actually takes us straight into the dark forest because you look and you look and you look on the outside for all the happiness that we were supposed to find through our jobs or through our look or through our marriage and our children. And then when we don't find it, boom, we're in the jungle. But it could have also been amazing if we didn't be, we weren't sold those lies and we were just told here, let's walk into the jungle right now. And that life is tough and life tough in, in, in terms of discovering yourself. That life is a jungle. It's a jungle of of discovering who it is you are. That that's really the only jungle it is, and it's a journey. But we've not been taught that in schools or by our parents. We've been taught that it's guaranteed happiness if you follow a prescription, which is a lie. The prescription is a lie. But if we were told that the only prescription is to journey the journey, then we'd have a whole different perspective of the jungle. excited to bring you this conversation today. Today's participant, Dr. Shafali Sabari, has been a friend for years, and um, she's a really beaming light of of a resource for uh, people who are seeking to um, become more self-aware and challenge challenge the kind of patterns of their lives, those repetitive patterns that keep uh, getting in the way. One method or one, one means by which she discovered very quickly that that was possible was through the parenting dynamic. And what you'll learn is, through the podcast is something that I've learned in my own practice is that um, when you begin working with parents, because our children matter to us so much, we're willing to sacrifice a lot and challenge and be introspective in ways that we probably wouldn't do if it were just we we on our own. Um, and that says a lot. And it says a lot about her intuition and her her willingness to kind of get into the get into the muck with with people. So a couple of note um, things to note about the podcast. So if you want to learn more about this podcast, it's the Sacred Speaks. Look it up at thesacredspeaks.com. It's also searchable on on Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, all under the Sacred Speaks. I've got resources that I've been putting onto the website, thesacredspeaks.com, uh, of all the participants. And there's a page on there where you can find all the music that I'm using, all of, uh, and, and resources not only from the bands that I'm drawing from, but also from all the participants. Um, today's kind of featured uh, band is, is one that I also brought in for episode nine. It's the Burning Hotels. And there are two singers. I'm going to use them for two episodes. Uh, Matt Moody is the singer of today's song. You'll hear it at the very end. Uh, the little clip at the beginning was from uh, was from them as well. And um, the theme song of the of the podcast is "Clouds" from Modern Nations. You can get them at modernnationsmusic.com. And uh, the Burning Hotels have a Facebook page. I will be teaching a class at the Young Center in Houston starting July 18th. It's four Wednesdays to through the 8th of August from 5.45 to 7.15. The class will explore the body and consciousness, and it will be drawing from um, many of the resources that I've spoken with through the podcast, but it'll be integrating a lot of these ideas as well, uh, focusing in on the body. I'm really excited to, uh, to bring that in, uh, to teach that class, and explore the ideas in a, in a more... In, integra- integrating the ideas, which is what uh, teaching really does. You begin to kind of pull on all these threads and see what's been lurking underneath the whole time. 
So it's exciting for me to be able to put the class together. It's Again, it's live streamed. Go to Young Houston, J-U-N-G-H-O-U-S-T-O-N, and uh, dot org, excuse me. And there you'll be able to sign up for the class, and uh, I'd be happy for you to join or come in if you're going to be in Houston. Okay, so the my my early career really began working with um, the Institute of Child Development, and and part of what we did was worked with children from hard places. We worked with really um, with trauma and abuse and neglect, and it was. Um, heartening and difficult and also enlightening and thrilling to connect with children and families and see um, the transformation that a loving, trusting, connected relationship can bring. So Shefali's been doing that to doing this with much broader audiences and has, and her work is really a testament to the profound possibility of these, this kind of approach with parenting. I'll read her bio. Oprah has endorsed her work as revolutionary and life-changing. Dr. Shefali Savari's groundbreaking approach to parenting has taken her books to the top of the New York Times bestsellers list. Her blend of clinical psychology and Eastern mindfulness sets her apart as a leader in the field of mindfulness psychology. As an international speaker, she speaks at events around the globe, spreading her message of conscious parenting and mindful living. She's also in private practice, where she consults with families and couples. You can get her at Dr. Shefali, D-R-S-H-E-F-A-L-I.com. And she is constantly teaching um, around, teaching and speaking around the globe. There are tons of resources to take her online classes or to get connected with her work. Um, her, her many books are available on Amazon or in the bookstores. My exposure to her work was through the book, The Conscious Parent. And, uh, and, and I have most recently read The Awakened Family, and I recommend both. So I will, um, I'll bring you Shafali and leave it there. Very grateful to you for making this time. I was thinking about kind of the why here, you know, why, why get in touch with you? And I thought, well, it's great. You know, you're a friend and you've been a teacher for years now. I've, I've, I've read the conscious parent when, when we, six or seven years ago when we met and have since recommended it and then had the enormous blessing of bringing you down here to Houston and watch you in action. And it of course confirmed all of my, uh, my suspicions about how you are, uh, not only as a human being, but how you are as a teacher when you get in front of kids. It, the one scene that I remember is seeing you in that room where we had all those kids hanging out and you just held the space like a magician. It was beautiful. And that... Yeah, the kids were so great. They loved, they loved you. And uh, so to yeah. think about how cool it is to be able to pick a friend's brain and benefit from their wisdom, I'm, uh, I'm grateful, Shivali. Thanks. Good, good, good. Of course. So the the first thing I want to back up far, um, you know, I think about I think about like okay, what are the questions that Shafali's always asked, you know, and I'm sure we'll hit some of those because they're a bit necessary. But sure. what I'm interested in is um, I want to get into a little of your personal history, however much you're willing to share, because one of my main questions is not only about what it is you're investigating. It's what predisposes you to be investigating whatever you are investigating. You know, how did, how did this topic become of such importance to you? So before we go into that, just in the broad, in, in a, to broadly define something, what is your vision of parenting in general? Well, you know, my interest has gone, it's not parenting. It never just was parenting. It was really to help elevate consciousness and to kind of stop suffering, right? Um, or to assuage suffering. And I saw that the, the adult client that you and I both get to see yeah. is extremely unamenable to change, very rigid and impenetrable to change. And no one really wants to change because change involves shedding of the skin and letting go of uh, archetypal stereotypes within the mind. And so it's too hard to change. But when I saw the, the adult parent come into the room, 
I saw there was some wiggle room fast and quick and furious that I'd never seen in just a client. And I realized that maybe for one's child, I mean, it's even for the child, it's rare, but perhaps for the child, there will be a willingness to change. So I began writing books on parenting really to change the adult. And I found that through their child, they would change. And then I created this whole thing called conscious, and I didn't create it, but you know, right. I embarked on this whole thing called conscious parenting, but it was really serendipitous because it was just me banging my head, trying to get the adult to change. And then I found that the adult who's a parent is willing to change for the sake of their child. And this love that you share for the child creates some hope and vulnerability within the parent that allows a slight window of opportunities, very slight, but that's what I began um, capitalizing on. And there grew conscious parenting. Right. But really, uh, the vision is consciousness in general. How to allow the, the adult psyche to experience the lies it's been told about itself and to deconstruct those quote-unquote lies. So the lies from culture how culture has told us to be, we have to be perfect, we have to be rich or we have to be successful or we have to be skinny or we have to be beautiful and deconstructing those lies because culture has betrothed us to a false sense of self. And then our parents who've also been tethered to that same culture and were raised in unconsciousness, they filled us with guilt and shame and, and uh, they've kind of used us to fill their own fantasies. So when we break the parental unconsciousness that we have ingested and we break the cultural unconsciousness that we have ingested, then there's a slight hope that we'll begin to see the authentic self. So that's really my mission is to help people unlayer and uncover the falsities and enter their authentic self. What, as a, to, to bring this together, what did you do your dissertation on? On depression um, in parenthood and if spirituality was a mediator. And I found that it was a mediator. It, it did decrease depression, but only for men, I believe, and for women, it didn't. Don't ask me the results in my... Yeah, no, that's <laughs> okay. That's, no, I, I'm curious about, like, so, so the insight for you, because you have this spiritual, we'll use the term spiritual, a spiritual understanding, and you've, you know, you're, you, people are very interested in your East-West combination how you integrate those two uh, orientations or philosophies. So that what you're saying here is that that's really the underlying field. And, and what, you, what you did was by experience determine that an entry point into affecting change for people is through the dynamic of the parent-child relationship. Yes, yes. That it's, it opens up such a portal of opportunity. This child that comes into your being, it's so symbolic of new beginnings. It's yeah. so symbolic of starting over that it, for the first few years at least of infancy, allows the parent to, who themselves are catapulted into a new dimension, now to use that newness to kind of instigate change. You know, we have to capitalize on it. You know, and that's why I say those first few years of infancy are the primary yeah, most yeah. profound portal I, and all parents will attest to this biological or adoptive right of change that's that we can ever encounter in our adult lives and what yes. it's really saying is that uh, akin to a traumatic experience where you're completely forced to shed your skin this is one of those non-traumatic traumatic experiences where you're forced to shed your skin and any opportunity of the unknown and parenting is one of those opportunities of the unknown but a volitional entry into the unknown allows this this portal this opening where new birth can occur of the psyche and that's why parenting is so powerful you know it's volitionally traumatic <laughs> you're, you're, you're you're inviting the trauma of <laughs> well, you're, you're doing skin. you're not knowing you're doing that i mean people have these I, idealistic you know, it's, it's it's on some level it's volitional the other it's like oh, i'm going in here to have fun and bring new life into the world <laughs> you know? right but then we keep doing it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something so aphrodisiacal yeah. about it nice at the same time traumatic yeah. and it's this combination that allows parents to keep having children generations over even though the mother would swear never to have another child after she just gave birth or had a c-section but there she is again after a few years it's this pivotal combination i think of the oxytocin that gets released but also of this i'm telling you of this 
you're just catapulted into this new territory, which is at once exhilarating, but also at the same time, so traumatic that shakes you. And therein lies the opportunity for deep depression or great spiritual change. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said trauma, because um, that's some, that, that all these events that become, you know, quote, spiritual, <laughs> it's highly correlated with trauma and not to romanticize trauma, but it is. It's we only learn through pain. Unfortunately, yeah. we humans are suckers for pain. And so either the pain comes through the life of life or through you know, your own volitional choices. But it is pain that is the greatest teacher, ultimately. And it's pain that brings people into our offices and despair and alienation. And they, they of course, just wanted to stop. We, we yeah. I, I don't need, not they, like we wanted to stop. I do it all the time where I just like, that's horribly uncomfortable and I want it to go away. Yeah, I actually don't now anymore. Well, that's brilliant. I don't need the pain. I'm like, I, I want the pain to reach the apex where change occurs. Yeah. So I wait now. I, I am ve not very comfortable and certainly not very comfortable in my pain, but I'm definitely more comfortable witnessing someone else's pain well, that, because yeah. I can see how there's still the pain is there to to shed the, the denial. Right. And until we get to the apex of it change won't occur. So for the best of my client, I wish them the most of pain because I want them to change. So say a, a woman yeah. comes in wanting a divorce, right? She'll be flim flamming and ambivalent for like 20 years. Right. So for her, I want her to experience some pain, some shock, some, some big epiphany so that she can make the decision and get out of this unending pendulum of should I leave or should I stay? Should I leave? And most humans are ambivalent and stuck in some pendulum swing yeah. paralysis for their entire lives. So I, I want the pain because the pain then precipitates change. I've seen it in my own life and in my own life too. Me too. I'm becoming more comfortable. You know, I tell myself, oh, obviously you're not changing because it's not painful yet. When it's painful, you'll change. What we need, it's almost like we need somebody else there because there's a deep part of us that doesn't want to... I had a friend of mine one time, I was quoting Dante Alighieri, and I said, you know, Dante's Inferno begins with midway through my life, I found myself in a forest dark. And he said, why do we go into that forest? Why don't we just stay out of that forest? And I, and I think that's a sentiment that we, despite being people who are oriented to that and who know that intellectually and experientially, we, we don't want to go into the forest. Because we don't look at life as a journey. We've been, we've been told a lie. We've been told life is not a journey. We've been told life is some linear progression to happiness. And it's the biggest lie on earth. And actually, but it's a great lie because it actually takes us straight into the dark forest because you look and you look and you look on the outside for all the happiness that we were supposed to find through our jobs or through our look or through our marriage and our children. And then when we don't find it, boom, we're in the jungle. But... <laughs> It could have also been amazing if we didn't be, we weren't sold those lies. Yeah. And we were just told here, let's walk into the jungle right now. And that life is tough and life, tough in, in, in terms of discovering yourself. Yeah. That life is a jungle. It's a jungle of, of discovering who it is you are. That, that's really the only jungle it is. And it's a journey. But we've not been taught that in schools or by our parents. We've been no. taught that it's guaranteed happiness if you follow a prescription, which is a lie. The prescription is a lie. But if we were told that the only prescription is to journey the journey, then we'd have a whole different perspective of the jungle. We would, would absolutely. And so let's go into the lie. Because I, I, I sometimes find myself understanding parenting as, you know, the, and I think on some level this is really true, the parent needs to be the, the, the most like culture as possible, because you're you're really this intermediary and saying like, look, this is the world out there, and I'm going to get you ready for the world out there. But that parent has been wounded in that culture, and so they continue on this way of being, and it's just continuously wounding and wounding and wounding. And they're going like, look, I'm not very messed up, and I'm you know I I'm going to teach my kid how to be strong like me, or you know whatever. You talk a lot about culture and authority, and so where is culture off in this equation, in your estimation? Well, culture is predicated on fear and control, no? All its institutions are really, all of them, if you look at each one, 
education, fear and control, intimidation, linearity, uh, external outcomes. Okay, after education, higher education, same thing. Yeah. Career, it's linear, it's progressive, its outcome is wealth. Then marriage, outcome is uh, typically dependency and control and possession. You know, that's linear too. That's highly stratified. Yeah. One person only. Now you've like reduced all options to one person. Then comes parenting. Parenting is also linear. We're taking our children from childhood into adulthood. There is no childhood anymore. It's only adulthood. And we're raising them to get to some place. We don't know what that is. And then then we want our children to have children. Then we're on that hamster wheel. And only when we reach our 80s, we realize what a big sham it all was. You know? Oh, yeah. So all institutions, what about religion? Predicated on fear and control. Every institution that's out there, politics, a law and order, the justice system, the beauty and co cosmetic industry, all the industries that are set up are predicated on lack. Yeah. You know? It's, it's creating lack. So when we begin to see that, then we understand that it's worked against us. And now we have to unravel from that authoritarian regime, from that totalitarianism. But it's scary to do so because then you feel you're walking against the tide, right? You feel you're leaving mainstream, going into this abyss of the unknown. Yeah. Well, that is the spiritual process, is seeing culture and mainstream for the the abysmal vermin lending uh, ideations that it does and move away from it. You know, it's that it's so clear. It's so great in a way that culture is so clearly uh, infused with just archaic and antiquated ideas that it just, then you move away yeah. and then you find a whole new way of living, a whole new dimensional awareness. Well, we, we almost all become fundamentalists. You know, it, it, we become, it, it, ingrained in the culture that says do this to help you deal with your fear and your uncertainty and cling to this idea and ideal so that you can feel a bit safer amidst this enormous chaos in the world. Okay, so with, with that in mind, you're, you're kind of an insider-outsider. You know, you, you were educated at Columbia. Uh, my understanding is that you were in Mumbai until 21, is that correct? Mm -hmm. All right, so how does that... In, inform your perspective? I mean, can you give a little bit of your upbringing and certainly in your spiritual life and what it is then like to move? It's just, it's just, you know, you can only look at your life in retrospect and then see what you did, you know, you, but when you're young, you just get thrown into the throes of your passion. And it was my passion to leave India with a determination and a zeal because I knew there was a more open way of living and India is so traditional and ritualistic and archaic and institutionalized and gendrified and patriarchal that I just wanted to run away, you know, and I did at 21. But then you get confronted with, you know, a culture shock and having to assimilate in a new culture. And I, my accent changed and my ideas changed. And, and so I was in the mix of the old Shefali and the new Shefali and who on earth is Shefali. And I think I've only just after 22 years begun figuring that out because it took me a long time to unravel the old and the new and reconcile the new. And all along I was, I was heaping upon the old and taking up, you know, the, the stuff that didn't work and, creating a new, but it took a long time to create a new sense of self, a, a consolidated sense of self, an integrated sense of self. So I think only now in my 40s, I'm just beginning to see who I really am. And I think all of us really only begin to peek at the authentic self in our 40s. Really. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that, that's developmentally appropriate. Yeah, thank that, you. Yeah. <laughs> I validate and I affirm my you. tragedy though my tragedy though I really had my spiritual epiphany at 21 and I did see my authentic self but it shocked me so much yeah. I saw the same self that I'm seeing now then but I wasn't ready to see her then it was too I was too young so I covered that up and I faked it and I went the mainstream route went to Colombia and did the mainstream and I'm happy I did all those things yeah. because it has allowed me to have credibility in the world and, you know, got married and thought linearly and checked off boxes and tried to become successful and earn money. And I did all of that only to now discover what I already knew at 21, you know. So 
it's a process, you know, and if you're too early in the game and you discover wisdom too early, it'll be snatched away by, by your innocence, by your gullibility. And it was. My innocence took away my wisdom. And now I had to return back to my wisdom. But but my wisdom peaked through all through. You know, I kept writing books on the sly, undercover, yeah. <laughs> and did everything. But I really only now feel like I'm figuring out who I am. It takes so, a long damn time. I want to argue with you a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I'm with you. Like, it, it, for, to even have the like, glimmer of insight, you know, in retrospect, all that stuff is working. You know, that's all working through you. And then it's... It is. So you... It's, it's almost... It's not clear. It's just... Yeah. It's, it's all an alchemical process. Right. So you have wisdom colliding with tradition, with the, with the mainstream. You know, I had wisdom at 21, but I still hadn't worked through the lies of mainstream. Yeah. So it was all working together. And I wrote my books in all that process. And now finally, after 22 years, I'm coming out at the other end, feeling like I've integrated that. And, and one may say you, you really learned how to be yourself in the culture. Because I, I do think it's important to be in culture in, in some respect. You know, we can't just Absolutely. be like hermits. Like, I mean, I guess we can. You know, we can go do that. But um, right, no. if that's we don't not... We want to do that. We want to be here and not belong here or be overwhelmed by here. Be in the form, but not off the form. Yeah, to, to over-identify with those um, yes. uh, cultural norms. Yes. Yeah, well, that's, yes. a fun, that's a fun fact to know about you. Did, did you... Um, did you have, you know, what would be called a spiritual practice when you were young? Did you meditate and, you know, do yoga and all that stuff? Yeah, since 21, I've been meditating. So then all the more reason for me not to have fallen off. But I'm telling you, uh, the acculturation, the conditioning was so strong within me that though I had wisdom peeking through so powerfully, my conditioning overrode it. Well, you know, and that's why conditioning is so powerful. Yeah. And isn't that the theme of people who are living authentically or whatever word we want to give to it, you know, they seem to be, have that awareness that, ah, you know, this isn't quite right. You know, this isn't, this isn't my thing. I need to go do, I'm, I'm, I'm urged in a different direction away from the kind of norms. Yes. And those are the people we, yes. those are our heroes, right? The people we look up yes. to are the ones who become themselves. Yes, yes, yes. And the process is of shedding that conditioning and we have to do it authentically and we can't bypass it. I thought I could bypass it by my epiphanies, but I had to go through the pain of shedding each layer of the conditioning piece by piece. You can't bypass it. You know, just having the wisdom doesn't bypass the, the actual work yeah. of the psychological process of going through the shedding process. I like that image, the shedding process. It's a good, uh, it's good imagery. Um, okay, let's get into some nuts and bolts. So okay. uh, really, I, I love that um, that makes a lot of sense that you discovered parenting is a landscape for you to work through and help others work through becoming more conscious. I, I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. so aligned with that. The, you mm -hmm. may know this, but as, as a kind of person with a Jungian bent, you know, that I am, Jung wrote that the, 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 the biggest wound the child will have to endure is the unlived life of the parent. And that, to me, speaks volumes to what, what it is you've been saying throughout all your work. Is that The this, biggest wound the child will have to... It's a paraphrase, but it's like, you know, the biggest wound the child endures is the unlived life of the parent. And I'll find you it's that... absolutely um, true. Yeah. Because it's the, it's the unprocessed, uh, unhealed parts of the parent that just spill out um, onto the child. And, and and if the parent just understood that all all they needed to do was heal themselves, then even if they're totally messed up, but healing in the mess up and owning it, the child doesn't absorb it. Yeah. So it's not about perfection that the what I'm saying is not about perfection. It's about a present parent who's fully aware that they're doing the work. And as long as the child sees that the parent is doing the work, they can be free to live themselves. It doesn't mean that the parent has to be all processed and all perfect and all pristine. The child just needs to know, hey, my parent is really doing the work and they're figuring <laughs> themselves out. So yeah. they know when they're crazy. They know when they're acting out. They know when they're having a hissy fit. They know when they're using me. They own it. So then the child can breathe on their own 
and the child is not taking care of the parent. Well, that's, I think that's one of the things I hopefully have done well with my son is he'll call me out. Yeah. And that's when I say, yep, you're right. That's right. I need to own that. <laughs> yeah, they're so good. They are. Well, and that, you know, I guess that's the one of the essences of why I enjoy speaking with you and reading your work is it, it serves as such a reminder to, to do that all the time. That's when, when I reconnect with your work, I, I increase my awareness of things that I already know, but I'm just not thinking about and working through. And then all of a sudden it's like this. I know it's about bringing it into the foreground. Yeah. It's like bringing it into the, I read my own books too, because that's <laughs> not me on a daily basis. <laughs> right? That's just it. our higher self. Yes. And it just, it just reminds you, it brings it into the foreground. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you talk a lot about, uh, I want to, hang on, I'm going to, bring some of your book we're going to talk about it so we're going to read it you start it and i think you do a really good job you start it um, the awakened family which i've really enjoyed on top of the conscious parent oh you've not, you've not read the awakened i've read family I, i've read it yeah I, i've okay. i've just thoroughly enjoyed it it's such a, a really good extension of the original work that you had gave That's given me years ago yeah. yeah um the mandate of the awakened family just for anybody listening i want to i want to put this out here in our conversation so three paragraphs, the time for a new beginning has arrived where family is no longer the chain that binds us, but is the earth from which we blossom and the sky we learn to fly. No matter how the family unit looks, it begins with a parent and a child, a relationship that holds the energy of the sun. With power to break patterns and resurrect the spirit, the awakened family awaits for no one. It begins to heal right here, right now. It recognizes that these sacred bonds can revolutionize the planet. You know, that's great. Yeah. It's about about understanding that each one is a sovereign spirit here to enact their destiny. And we are in the cluster called family. But family is formless, really. But unfortunately, in culture, families become its own institution mm, of separation yeah. and difference and ownership. But the family I speak of here is no boundaries. And it's the human family. And the human family is about uh, revitalizing and re rejuvenating, remembering that each one of us is here to enact our own soul's path. And the family has been put here to help that process, not to curb it, but it becomes the chains that bind us, as I say. You know, it's not the chains that free us. I ask, you know, you ask every client, name the five people who, who, who stand in your way of change. And all five will be the closest constellation of people usually by blood isn't that yeah, amazing it is <laughs> and our intention of, i call them the the karmic family the family we were just given and then the intentional families we create those are the ones that free us this is a tragedy it's a real tragedy that's uh as, as scary as that may sound it's also incredibly liberating because i i have a number of people i work with who are traumatized by the reality of having to separate from their family of origin and their family of origin is one of the more toxic aspects of their lives and that that's it the extreme right i mean most you're right in in kind of <laughs> average functioning normal functioning folks that commentary still exists yes uh, you know parents long-term romantic relationship children you know best friends the, all those conflicts Absolutely. So yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, I think what I've now come to see is that our first few intimate relationships are, you know, you know, this direct reenactments of the first uh, family of origin. Yeah. And I call them karmic relationships, you know, where there's a lot of cause and effect and you're learning through contrast and you're learning through conflict and strife. And, and then you as you evolve, you attract more synergistic partners in your life who mirror your authentic self. And those are like more dharmic relationships, more universal flowing energy relationships. But the first few, we're going to, we have no choice but to reenact the sibling rivalry. We have no choice but to enact the dependency on the parents. We have no choice to enact the guilt and shame we felt at the hands of our unconscious caregivers. We have to work through all that. And, and most of us don't work through it. So we just stay stagnant in really dysfunctional relationships and raise our children like that. 
And then only after the first few, you know, decades of dysfunction, some of us wake up. And then we get scared to change. And then some of us of that change. And so the slim chances for fun functionality and wholesomeness is really, really low. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Life is hard. Well, I just this, this, conditioning, this conditioning is beguiling. It's like seductive. Yes. You have this, this, this smile as we're, you know, we're talking. It's like, because it's so true. It's you and I get to see it a lot. The, yeah. I say sometimes. And I see humor in it. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree because it's it's kind of like the folly of life, you know. That yes, these aren't. We're not talking about bullshit here. We're talking about facts. These yeah. you and I have a and you <laughs> you have a broader reach, but you and I've got a front row seat to a lot of these facts that exist. And so sometimes I, I do talks. And I'm like, hey, trust me, folks. Like I do this a lot. I can make certain assumptions about your life and universal facts that exist in your life. That, that permeate everybody's lives. And, and that's just the truth. That's the kind of ground I'm working on right now. So when I speak about things, it's an informed perspective. Uh, it, it's still limited yes. because I'm limited to those lives I've been a part of, but we can make certain generalizations. And yes. you certainly can. And while can. it's not scientific, sci science also only makes generalizations based on the samples that they have. So this is qualitative. Right. data collection but after doing two decades of work over and over and over again you see those patterns and yeah you can kind of quickly make general generalized and informed choices based on that or decisions based on that well i i just had somebody recently in my office and i said what do your you know he's struggling through school and of course he and his parents have different uh understandings of the problem you know, the problem in quotations. And I said, what do your right. parents want for you? What's their motivation? Because I know they're doing the best they can, and I know they're, they love you. And he said, well, right. they just want me to be happy and successful. Yeah. So yeah. that, that I, and I want to use part of your front row seat that you get to all the people and kind right. of begin to tease out what you think parents mean when they say, I want my child to be happy and successful. They only mean they want their child to be wealthy. And I've deconstructed this over and over again, because if I show them that the child is happy being a volunteer in a third world country, the parent is not happy with that because happiness means success and success means wealth. So let's get really clear about what every parent wants for their child, because every parent is coming from financial lack and haven't resolved their own issues with money and with their own issues in on fame and belonging and worth. And that's why you see the plethora of Facebook posts by parents because they all are looking for significance. You know, it's this dire desire to be seen. And that's the primal wound, right? Am I seen? Am I whole? Am I worthy? We keep questing for this and we use our children to answer these primal questions that we should really find for ourselves and discover for ourselves. So it's all BS when parents say they want their kids to be happy because we don't even know what happiness is. And truly, 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 happiness can only be by living in the present moment. So we're not teaching our children that. Therefore, we're not teaching our children happiness. We're teaching them that happiness can be bought through an expensive car or a fancy corner office or, you know, pretty girlfriend or boyfriend, a handsome boyfriend. We're teaching them the wrong things. We're teaching them that happiness is external. Happiness is, and every wisdom tradition will, will concur, only the acceptance of the as is, as it is. And no parent is accepting their child as is, and no child is accepting themselves as is. So until we've discovered this jewel of wisdom, we're never going to be happy. And then what is success? What is success? I mean, Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates themselves are attestations to that, that there's no direct path to success. You know, they were college dropouts. They suffered from learning disabilities. They were uh, suffering from childhood traumas. And so this is all the ubiquitous pile that we throw everything into, happiness and success, without thinking this is our sheep mentality. We're just following these cliched words and really using our children to fill the inner void mm -hmm. and pushing them. This is for your happiness. This is for your success. No, it isn't, mom and dad. It's for your inner void. It's for your lack of self. It's to make you feel significant. So stop using me. You know, my daughter learned when she was five to tell me, mom, 
live your own life, let me live mine, you know? <laughs> I, I bet that was a fun conversation. <laughs> it was. She was, she was right yeah. on point. Like, you take care of yourself. Yes. And then you'll be able to take care of me. But if you don't take care of yourself, you're just using me. You're not caretaking me. See, Shafali, the point there is that you you were able to take that. Like my my son, the moment when my son, and this was sweet, I don't mean to just throw him under the bus here, but the moment my son said, I, you know, I hate you, it was because he was pissed at me. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, and he goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I was like, no, that's that's okay. What do you mean by that? I was He was yeah. training. We were doing a race together and he was training and I was pushing him. And yeah. he, at the end of it, he said, I'm angry with you and I can't stand the fact that you're pushing on me. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what, man. You be the boss. I'll run when you run. I'll walk when you walk. You're the leader. And we started running. And then he started walking. And then about 200 yards later, he looks at me and goes, hey, dad, will you push on me a little bit more? You know, this great moment of like, oh. I'm glad you only had a moment because you have a teenage son. You should have a teenage daughter like I do. Well, she's coming. She's (laughs) the norm. (laughs) I hate you. It's like, please pass me the the salt. (laughs) Yeah. And the issue there is that we don't we don't hear what they're really trying to communicate. And right. What they're trying to say is back off me. Yeah. You know, put your expectations on yourself. Stop contouring me to be of your image and fantasy. Yeah. You're not seeing who it is. I am. I have feelings. I don't know how to get you off my case. And I I can't breathe around you. That's what they're saying. And they're right. And they're absolutely correct. They yeah. never just say, I hate you because we've been leaving them alone. <laughs> they say, I hate you because we've been on top of them and they can't yeah. take us anymore. Yeah. So so you're right. The parent has to be willing to look in the mirror. That's what I say in all my books. You know, you have to be willing to see when that kid slams the door at you. Instead of blaming the kid, you have to say, ask yourself, why am I so reprehensible to my child right now that she not only needs to leave my vicinity, she needs to shut the door, but not only shut the door, she needs to slam the door, right? It's only when you're willing to act, turn the spotlight within and use those moments to ask yourself, how can I grow that you can become a conscious parent? But that, that's predicated on the assumption that you are willing to grow, that you're looking at this life as a journey. And that's what I said in the beginning. If you don't look at this life as a journey of your self-awakening, then you will miss all these lessons, no? Yeah. If we extend that just a little bit, what anybody ever says is, yeah, but oh my God, that's so hard. Like, it's so hard. And I, I, this was the thought as I was reading your, um, your books, is I, is I thought, well, that's vulnerability. That's, that's the, defi- the definition of vulnerability is feeling like you're taking an enormous risk. And yeah. that's scary. And so to, yeah. to actually kind of free yourself from this, and I love your, you, you immediately got into control and fear with the culture. Because the culture is imposing this idea of like, no, you need to do this. And so in that moment, you're conflicted. Like, do I, do I kind of connect with them here in this moment? Or do I do what everybody else is doing? And despite the fact we're telling that's our why kids. It's so, it's so imperative for you to have seen through culture's guise. Yeah. And for you to see through the ruse that culture uses. You must, that should be the, the first place you start is to catch culture and all its lies. The minute you deconstruct that, then you see how every institution is predicated on that. And parenthood is an institution. And we've been predicated on lack and fear and control as well. Once you bust that myth, then you begin to realize that even though your your condition to enter punishment and threats and control, you now want to do it a new way because you see the falsity of the old way. So that's why you have to be willing to see things for what they are. Which which is hard. <laughs> it's very hard. The, the veils of conditioning make us blind. We don't yeah. even know where we're, we're wearing veils. So we are. How that- do you know you're asleep when you think you're awake? You're you know you're asleep, but you think you're awake until you're really awake, and then you realize you've been sleeping all this time. I'm thinking about which because I know I'm I'm sensitive to to time, um, and I'm I'm figuring out do we need to go? I, I think we need to go in here. Um, 
we said it a second ago, being successful, being happy is the kind of agenda of, of most parents, you know, because what, what I hear when people come into my office is that they're loving, they're, they're well-meaning, you know, they, they just want things to go better. Um, but I, I think underneath all that is this cultural, and I should say, probably say collective need to anesthetize discomfort, Right, so the therapist becomes some kind of an emissary of that end. You know, help us not feel like we're dealing with pain. H- how, you have such a direct way of going at people. How do you how do you go at this? I mean, like w- when you do that, therapy. That's why. Yeah, can, yeah. Uh, that's the that's going for the jugular. That's the crux of it. You're absolutely correct. They want to not feel pain. And yet, the more they run away from pain, the more they create pain in their lives because they create these barriers, these barricades to pain, which are actually the perpetuators of pain. Right? right? They eat more. Right. They find relationships yeah. that are not worthy. They they run into jobs just for the transient, uh, you know, release of discomfort, and then discover that they're unhappy at, in the long run again. So, th- it's this application of of accepting the discomfort of life, right? The Buddhists say the groundlessness of, of life, to be grounded in the groundlessness. That's the essence, to learn this art of living suspended in the unknown moment by moment reality of life. This is the art that most people don't have. When they have it, now your entire life changes. It's a qualitative shift in how you view life. You don't run away from pain anymore. You go deeper into it. You engage with it. You ask why it exists. You talk to it. You dialogue. You you enhance yourself because of it. Now every moment can be alchemized into something different. Yeah. You're transforming every moment. You're never stuck. You're never paralyzed. You're excited by all the trauma. So then you're never daunted. So then you're never in a paralytic state of depression anymore, right? But you have to lo- you have to undo all the ways that that are against this. The, the the way we've been conditioned is to not live in the present and the only antidote to happiness the antidote to unhappiness really is to live in the present so here's the clash we have to decondition from all we've been raised with and learn the another way how to live in the present such a simple thing one would think all children know how to do it yeah we don't yeah, we take so, catapult them out of it, and we don't know how to do it ourselves. The thought that I have as we're kind of le- moving toward um, finishing our conversation is that you know people come into therapy or into any kind of process like this, and they want to they want to be heavenly. They want to go to heaven. They want to feel better. And the 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 trick of the whole thing is that you got to descend into hell and do some deep excavation of these biases and ways of being in the world that you believe are helping you, but they're actually serving your, uh, your suffering, which is anesthesia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What are we leaving out? Is there anything that you have a little thought that we kind of came up that you didn't get to circle up on? I think just for people to see that every choice can be one of conditioned lack and fear and therefore control, or it can be a new choice, a new paradigm of living, which is release of lack, entering abundance, seeing the beauty of this moment, seeing the gift of this moment. And in fact, the more contrary it is to the self, it means that it's shaking the attachment to a belief system that must be shaken, because the less attachments we have, the more liberated we'll be. And then to release control, you know, just go with the flow of life more and more. This doesn't mean you don't pay your bills and don't shower. It just means to be very appreciative of the present moment. Yeah. You know, see the present moment as such a valuable teacher. Well, you're you're at the present moment being a valuable teacher to me. Thank ah, you. thank you, John. You yeah. too. Well, let's uh, let's close it out, Shafali. I'm I am, you know, moved beyond words. Thank you for sharing this time with oh, me. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you.